This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of All Possibilities is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. This episode is hosted by Jessica Brodkin, who you may remember from episode number 11. She's filling in as a guest host for All Possibilities as I take care of my newborn baby. Enjoy the show! Have you ever wanted to punish someone for being bad? Have you ever thought, how do I get pieces of my soul back? Today you'll hear from Kristen Boyer, a self-described shamanatrix, who went from a fundamentalist Christian upbringing to a psychology master's degree to working in a dungeon as a dominatrix. Kristen's experiences have led her to become a skilled shaman who brings back parts of people's soul. Let's rock and roll. Welcome to the All Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today on All Possibilities. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. I'm so honored and very excited to speak with you today. So you've had a really amazing journey from how you, how you were raised, how you grew up, to being a dominatrix, to learn, studying psychology, right? Mm-hmm. And which probably comes in handy with dominatrix work, I'm guessing. <laughs> Absolutely. That actually made me really good at it. It did? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the reason why I did so well in that, in that area. Can you elaborate a little more? Do you have a master's in counseling, right? So I have my master's in creative arts therapies. Okay. And ever since I was a child, and I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian home that didn't have a lot of space for expression or honesty or feelings. So I felt like I was very much suppressed for the first part of my life and always felt like I was very empathic, even though I didn't have the terms for that yet. I didn't really know what that meant, but I did know that I was very sensitive and holding on to feelings that weren't necessarily all mine, but ones that weren't being expressed through my family members. And ever since I was young, I really wanted to help people who had been through trauma because I had gone through my own experiences uh, growing up in this very much cult-like fundamentalist Christian church, not feeling like I really had a safe space to express what was going on. There was a number of years during my childhood from five to eight that I was being repeatedly sexually abused by a neighbor of mine, which created such a great sensitivity in me and a compassion for others. And I found that literally all of the troubled kids, like the Pied Piper, would come and find me at school and start to reveal some of their deepest, darkest secrets. And I found that kids that were going through abusive situations and some kids that were very much, I guess I could say, haunted by negative energies or experiences who felt like they were going crazy for whatever reason, they would come and they would find me and they would start to share some of the things that they had gone through feeling like, you know, they had found a a kindred spirit to connect with. And ever since I was a kid, I just knew that my heart wanted to help people and to empower them and, and help them understand a little bit about their own dynamics and all of the intricacies of the, the psyche and how we make decisions related to how we've been brought up and 
So I was on the trajectory, so to speak, about going into the field of psychology. I had gotten my undergrad in psychology and then began to continue my studies to get my master's at Pratt Institute for Creative Arts Therapies, where I thought I was going to be an art therapist. And it was at that time that I was going through school and I reconnected with an old flame of mine. It was this this boy that I just had the biggest crush on when I was 17. I met this man at Busch Gardens Amusement Park during this awful family vacation that my parents were locked into a timeshare in colonial so West you were, Virginia. You were jailbait. No, this guy <laughs> sounds like jailbait. <laughs> Say more about that, Jessica. <laughs> I want to see where you're going with that. <laughs> no answer. <laughs> no, I mean you were 17. He was an older guy, right? Oh no, no, he, oh, he was, was 17. He was. I, I was actually older. Oh, you I'm, were. I'm the oh, cougar here by about oh, six months. Oh, 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 okay. I thought yeah. he was an older guy and you were 17. I was, no, I was no, just like, no. I'm like, this I'm sounds like, oh, very scary. I'm like, how many of us? I'm like, Kristen, what are you talking about? Yeah. No, it was. <laughs> this really hot Scottish heartthrob. I saw him at Bush Gardens Amusement Park. My my sister and I begged my parents not to drag us to these colonial colonial reenactments at Colonial Williamsburg, which yeah. is where we used to go to study the colonial way so that we could bring it back to a Christian outreach that we did with my church community. And so I spent many different years memorizing scripts to preach the gospel to people dressed up in colonial outfits. Are and you kidding? No, I'm not. I, I did that for seven years. I, I do not have photos oh, of that. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually personally really happy I don't have those photos. But my mom was a gifted seamstress, and she made many of these outfits. They were gorgeous. But we had a church property that was located on a historical site. The Janney family who owned this property that was connected to, um, to George and Martha Washington. So anyway, I was on this vacation with my family. My sister and I were sick and tired of going to Colonial Williamsburg for the fifth time in a row. So we begged to go to Bush Gardens Amusement Park instead. And that's where I met this man who just captivated my heart in the first moments when I saw him. And I very seldomly had these experiences where I see someone, I'm like, that's the person. And it usually ends up being a very deep soul connection. And I didn't know that this person and I had such deep karma, but I, I immediately fell in love with him. And as soon as he turned to me and started speaking in that Scottish accent it was over it'll get every, it'll get anybody really yeah and, and it got me and we ended up spending the rest of this vacation together and begged my parents to let him come to the beach with us and hang out and my sister also had a big crush on him so he ended up coming around with us on this vacation then we became pen pals and kept in touch for a number of years so you know seven years later i'm in graduate school and he reaches back out and says he's been looking for me he wants to see me and he comes to visit me in new york and we fall madly in love all over again. You know, who would have known? I, I obviously knew. And at that point, he was like, we're, you know, we're going to date. And I'm like, you live in Scotland. That doesn't make any sense. And he's like, no, I want to marry you. And of course, I was, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. I'm like, oh, you're so cute. I just love you so much. Yes, yes, yes. You know, let's see how it goes. Let's do some long-distance, you know, relationshiping. And we did. And, you know, he basically convinced me to get him to come over on a fiancé visa and just get married there before it was up. And so we only had a few weeks to decide if we were going to make it work. And he seemed really amazing during that trial period. And we got married. And as soon as we did, he completely changed. And I realized that he was lying about 
everything, literally about him working. He was lying for years. Even since we first met one another, he was telling me these stories about how he worked as a flight attendant and all these, you know, adventures that he had and like a woman that he was with and how he got kicked off of that career because of something that had happened in an airplane bathroom. And, you know, and it turned out that none of these stories were actually true. And there was just a web of lies that continued on throughout this relationship. And as soon as we were married, he just kind of stopped putting up the facade to the same degree. And that's when I realized that I was in it deep and, you know, wasn't even really aware because I was working three different jobs at that point to try to keep us afloat because he, you know, quote unquote, couldn't find work because of his paperwork. And he did have jobs, but he was hiding the money that he was making. It was just, it was a whole hot mess, so to speak. And at that point. And you're in Scotland. No, it was actually in New York. Okay. It was right after I graduated from uh, Pratt Institute with my master's degree. And it sidetracked my life because I didn't feel like I had the support to begin to go into the field of creative arts therapies because there's a lot of licensure and a lot of my friends were getting very low paying jobs. We're getting hurt on the jobs, you know, working at um, different institutions, jails, getting punched in the face, having to leave, having those jobs as a, as a result of having these awful situations happen at work. And at that point I was like, I'm a newlywed. I think I'm going to just nanny for a couple months until I can, you know, get everything together and, and move forward. But little did I know my, my ex husband now was emptying my bank account and just blowing through all of my savings until we got to a point where we were in crisis and he had a friend come over and, uh, from Scotland, his best friend. And, and during that time, we started to have those conversations of, hey, we have about just enough money left for rent. And I'm working three jobs and I'm doing the best I can. And he stopped working his one job for his friend to come and he lost that job. And at that point, he just, him and his friend went on a bender and just blew through my savings, spent the rent money. And then as soon as his friend left, we had a conversation about, you know, having to go back and, and live with my parents in Pennsylvania. And at that point, he just kind of freaked out. He's like, your dad's going to make me read the Bible, you know, all these things. And at that point, he had his brother buy him a plane ticket to go back to Scotland. Unbeknownst to me, I come home from work the very next day and all of his things are completely gone. Wow. And That's amazing. It, I mean, like terrible. It happened so fast. It was devastating. And it was at that point that, you know, the, the nannies that I was working alongside, we kind of formed a little bit of a babysitter's club, so to speak. And the the babysitters were seeing me falling apart. We had some play dates that we would have Tuesdays and Thursdays and they pulled me aside. They're like, Hey, Kristen, you know, we see what you're going through and we're really concerned for you and you, you're going to have a breakdown and we don't want to see it happen in front of these kids. They're good kids. Like don't, don't do this to them and like take take some time for yourself. At that point, I just felt like I was in absolute crisis mode. And of course, the children that I was working for were emotionally disturbed. A lot of them were um, very highly medicated because of all of my psychology training. the the nanny um, The nanny arrangement company was essentially putting me with these kids because they saw all of my psychology training, and I was just you know po like popping pills into this one kid's 
mouth at 7:30 in the morning and then again at 8:15 he was you know didn't want to be taking these medicines really what i was seeing happening was deep emotional disturbance and trauma because of his parents that were going through a really rocky divorce and there was just a lot of stress that was in my life at that time and some the of nannies, it wasn't even yours no a lot of it wasn't mine and it was trying to stay afloat and help all these people while i couldn't even help myself and didn't feel supported and my whole you know false support system right this person who i really had poured so much of my time energy into who I thought was, um, very different than how he ended up being once we did, you know, say those vows. That's when I realized I was in crisis mode. And, and as did these nannies who had become some friends and said like, Hey, you know, one of them pulled me aside and she was like, I just really don't want to offend you, but I see that you are about to fall to pieces and like, Hey, I, I'm not sure if you've ever considered this, but you know, you would make a really good professional dominatrix. Maybe you should quit your job and do nanny. that for a couple months just to make some money. And the other nanny chimed in and was like, I had a friend who did that. She made a bunch of money really fast. She lived in Queens. She was able to you know, do X, Y, Z with her life and turn it around in a short period of time. Maybe you should do it. And at that point, I honestly, I was about to have to move back to my fundamentalist Christian family's home where I felt truly like that would ruin the rest of my soul that felt so damaged by this particular period of my life. And there, it just, there was such a deep knowing in my soul that if I went, that was going to be it, it was going to be over for me. So it was time to, you know, take advantage of this wild card. <laughs> and it was at that point that the nanny said, I'll put you in touch with my friend. She did it for a couple of years. She'd be a great point person. So I made this phone call to this woman. I remember being in one of the rooms of this this family's house that I babysat and they were playing in the other room and they kind of like went and took this call in the little girl's bedroom and was talking to this woman and she said, you know, I've been at XYZ Dungeon. This one's the cleanest. This one's the most professional. This one is the, the one I would recommend as the safest. And, you know, do you know what you're about to get into? And I said, well, you know, I, I have some of an idea now. Thank you very much. And she said, this is not for the faint of heart. You're going to see some things that are really disturbing. Are you ready to step into that? And at that point, I just really felt like, you know, I had nothing to lose. I lost it all already, right? I, I lost my home. I lost my husband. I had to move out because I couldn't pay the rent on the place. The universe came in, swept in, and supported me almost as if by magic um, by bringing in the right home to live in without any overhead and really just supported me to get to this point. And at that point, I thought, all right, I'm, I'm being led here for a reason, and the answer is yes. So I ended up uh, starting a, a new career as a professional dominatrix, which I never expected I would ever be doing. I actually really had very little education about BDSM before that. I really had no interest in hurting people, although you know my friends encouraged me to let out a little bit of steam for people who would be con consenting to hiring someone to come in and play a particular role for them. So it was interesting as I made that transition and I stepped into that work. I remember going into, into the office and wearing a blazer and having my resume with all of the different, <laughs> all of the different populations of people I've worked with, including people with mental illness and chemical addictions and, and handing her this resume. And she just grabbed it and threw it on the floor. She's like, I don't care. What's your dom name going to be? What days do you want to work? <laughs> I see you laughing what was over your there. Dom name? <laughs> My dom name was Karma. 
And I didn't what? know that that was going to be my name until they asked me and my mouth opened and it rolled out. Karma is so perfect. It was perfect. And it, I, I didn't, I don't even feel like I chose. I felt like my mouth opened and some, someone else spoke for me, but it felt like, yes, that's, that's great. Thanks, Kristen, for just saying that. <laughs> and so I stepped into this new role being Karma Jones. I actually took the surname of someone I had a crush on in college who um, I was just friends with. Nothing ever happened, but it was, it was a last name that sounded really good. So um, I used to make up fake business cards and give them to my clients because I would be playing different roles with them. And, and that's really what I stepped into. I stepped into being a role play specialist because it was essentially improv going into a room and working with someone, having them tell you a little bit about what they want. You know, we'd have men come in and the, the day shift that I worked was mainly businessmen on their lunch breaks, uh, men of high status in, you know, fortune 500 companies who were really essentially sick and tired of bossing people around holding that really high state, but wanting to come into a situation where they could hand over all of their power, check it at the door, put away the briefcase and then just let someone else take complete control. And that's essentially, you know, the, the, the population of people that I began to work with. And so I found that as I began to work there, people would come to me with these stories that I realized, you know, these are too real and ripe to be made up. And that's when I began to, you know, pull out my psychologist hat. And I think that's really what helped me thrive in this place was because I was really interested in knowing what was happening psychologically for these individuals who were coming in and sharing these stories because a lot of them were truly traumatic. Like, for example, I had this man who would come in very tall, very good looking man, salt and pepper hair, you know, nice stature. And he would come in, he would talk like an adult and he would say, you know, I want to pretend that I'm, you know, uh, a young boy and I'm being molested. And I want my, I want you to be my babysitter and I want you to make me do things to myself and like, tell me it's okay and keep it a secret. And he would come in about once a week and he would ask for the same thing. Do you think he was molested? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And of course, because I'm also a victim of sexual abuse and I could very strongly relate to what content he was bringing, I was finding that he would always pick me. And I felt like there was some kind of vibrational frequency of, of me going through an experience and him feeling that because I would literally, I got to the point where it was quite uncomfortable that I would stop coming in all dressed up. I wouldn't make any effort. I would kind of be rude to him and he would still always pick me. And a lot of the women who would come in, I would bring girls in on training and, you know, all of the babysitters, I'm going to have my babysitter friends over and we're going to watch you, you know, whatever dialogue I was coming up with to fulfill this fantasy of his. But I found that I was stepping into this role of reenacting people's traumatic situations that were coming back to something where they felt like they had lost their power. And all of the clients that I was working with at the dungeon were essentially calling upon these stories that were quite traumatic. And of course, because I really actually want to know what's going on in someone's experience, I would find that um, I would essentially start reenacting and, um, and stepping into this role of, of people's stories. And I would also start asking them questions about, you know, like, what is it about this that turns you on? Have you ever had this experience before? And that's when people started to really break down through the stories and share some of the traumatic situations that had happened and how they had impacted them. So I found that it was actually really cathartic for these people to not only share a little bit more about their stories, but then also find a reframing to restructure and make it consensual and make it fun, make it playful to reenact a story that was once very painful 
people that has made such a, a deep and lasting imprint. Coming up, you'll get to hear how Kristen shifted from working in a dungeon to becoming a shaman. Do you have a story or a comment you'd like to share? I'd love to hear from you. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. You can also connect with me directly at my own website, beingmypurpose.com. Hello, world. I'm Michelle Park. Hello, world. I'm Stacy Eagle. And welcome to Mom Got, Got This. We Got This. We are so excited to host this show. We're going to have a show Monday through Thursday, and every day we're going to be talking to one amazing guest who also happens to be a mom, but every day we're going to be asking them about different parts of their life. What inspires them? What makes them happy? What makes them sad? What did they do before they made it? And most of all, their mom journey, because these women have really made it. They really have. And they're all moms. Which is, I think, amazing in itself. Like being a mom is already a full-time job. It's a full-time job. And there's highs and there's lows and we're busy and we're juggling. And these are all working moms. Mm-hmm. So we want to hear their stories. What inspires them? What gets them down? What are the products they use and the recipes to make life easy? What products do they like? What they don't like? <laughs> <laughs> and also, I'm so excited about this. Every episode, we're actually going to hear from you guys, the listeners, because we want to hear your mom's got this moment. We want to hear about why your mom. So we want you to join us Monday through Thursday every week. And don't forget to subscribe. So make sure you go to our website, momsgotthispodcast.com. And use our hashtag. Mom's got this. <laughs> Premieres May 14th on Mouth Media Network and sponsored in part by luxury footwear brand Tamara Mellon. Kristen, it sounds like your work with these people was very therapeutic for them. And was it therapeutic for you as well? Oh, yeah, it was absolutely therapeutic. And I guess I don't really know how to go into a situation and not transform it in some way mm -hmm. uh, by going to the depths of what's really going on with someone because I feel like that's part of my gift of seeing through some of those layers and really wanting to see what's going on and even looking at my own experiences of all of the different places in which I was trying to feel more empowered after this, you know, complete and total devastation and heartbreak and not even to mention to go into some of my own previous sexual traumas, but to see how this role of stepping into being a dominatrix was essentially helping me to feel more empowered, almost in a way, powerful and untouchable. And also starting to realized that it was an opportunity for me to reclaim different parts of my power. But, you know, at the same time, I would go home every day feeling super good about the day and very sexy, desirable, empowered. But once I would go, you know, out of the dungeon and go back home, I would realize that there was this emptiness, this pit that was a part of me and my power that was missing. And although I could play the role and I could step into it and I could be, you know, that person's double secret agent if they wanted me to be, or I could be in the army or I could be their babysitter, I could be their mother, that there was something that was fun in the moment and playful that fulfilled this, this desire within me to be wanted, needed to um, ex express some of this energy that I was holding, not just for them, but for myself. 
And then I realized that there were still so many pieces of my life that were not put together and that the pain and suffering that I had experienced specifically from that painful marriage was still, you know, a raw point inside of my heart. And it was at that point that I started to look at the patterns in all of the clients that I had helped, not just at the dungeon, but also people I had worked with when I worked at Bellevue Hospital with a mentally ill with chemical addiction and looking with the work that I had done with children, um, you know, at a, at a helping center uh, for after school programs of, of children that were being neglected and abused at home and seeing that through the different means of talk therapy, through doing creative arts therapy. And at the dungeon, I would always refer to it as drama therapy. Because it sounds like you're an actor. Yeah, essentially like it was a improv. Really, it's a really good, you sound like a very good actor. And I think that maybe you're convincing some of our listeners to become dominatrixes as well. <laughs> I don't know. Well, there's something about playing with the palpable energy that people carry into a situation that they want to explore because there's something of depth that they're trying to captivate or recreate or get to. And I found that this was very consistent with seeing where people had a void or where people had had some kind of cardinal wound that was creating this story, creating this dialogue that we were co-creating together. And again, seeing a pattern with all of the clients that I had worked with in all of the different realms of the psychology art therapy and the dungeon work that people were always just trying to come back to a story that was in some way held some truth for them that was a pivotal point in their life where they lost a sense of who they were where they lost a, a great deal of their power or their essence. And I realized that I was using this role to also fulfill that within myself where I was feeling like my power was missing. Do you think that all Dom work is therapeutic? I think it really depends on the level of consent that everyone shows up with and their desire for what they want to get out of the session. I found that I could not help but try to steer it in the direction because of... Because that's who you are. Right? That's and who I am. Your training and, and mm -hmm. you being an empath and you wanting to help people just like from day one, that's who you are. So I assume that maybe your take on it is maybe different or maybe similar. <clears throat> yeah. And I found that there was such an important aspect for me to understand what that story was about and go to the core and, and try to tease out the information and the dialogue and play around what it was that was missing. And I found that, you know, we were all just dancing around a, a, a point with which someone had had some pain and suffering, which is why, you know, I've actually stepped away from the dominatrix work in, mm -hmm. in the last couple of months. You know, it was always this thing I sort of had on the side. I had a couple of clients. I was one of theirs mother and, you know, we would work through some of the issues that he had about his own attachments to his mother and, and some of the things that he had, you know, energetically kind of messed with him a little bit and we would right. talk about religion and spirituality all sorts of concepts but with him i found that he didn't want to go further into healing he mm. did want to perpetuate the wound and i found that in the dungeon a lot of the clients did actually want to get off essentially on that wounding and i realized that there was a new aspect that was coming into play that i had never worked with before and this is actually where i learned how to understand entities and how essentially negative energies can come into a place where you have lost your power and i didn't realize these concepts that i'm going to introduce in a little bit about soul retrieval and soul loss I love that soul i work retrieval. with Solar retrieval is so good. <laughs> I love so it too. A weird whisper, guys. <laughs> Solar retrieval is very fun. It's not a secret. It's we'll tell you about it. <laughs> <laughs> no need to whisper. Oops. 
But essentially realizing that, you know, these people that were coming in with these wounds had some kind of power loss that was, you know, equating to what I later learned to be a shamanic term. And shamanism is the oldest spiritual practice on the earth. Essentially, we look at every indigenous culture around the world and they have consistent practices that are consistent cross-culturally that essentially help to either clear energies, uh, belief systems, and a practice called soul retrieval, where it is believed that if you have gone through trauma, that part of your soul will separate as a coping mechanism to help you get through the experience. But then after the experience, you are missing a vital part of your power or your energy, your personality. It could be your confidence. It could be your ability to trust. It could be your ability to feel safe if someone's touching you, you know, in, in a situation of um, any kind of rape or sexual abuse, people oftentimes will dissociate because it's too painful and yeah. too ugly to stay in the body during that trauma. And I was finding that a lot of the clients I was working with were dissociating to some degree because there had been a trauma that happened. And in that case, a lot of it was sexual. Um, but, you know, other clients I've worked with, it hasn't been so sexual. But there is power loss that happens, you know, after a really difficult breakup or after, you know, an accident happened, a car accident, you could actually lose part of your soul because it, it like jumps out of your body. You have that initial shock and sometimes all of your energy doesn't come back into your body. So there's many different ways that we can lose different parts of our soul. And of course our soul is mostly here. If we're walking embodied, we're not in a coma, we're physically animated right. with the soul. But different aspects of the soul do, according to shamanism, leave the body as a way to protect the, the entirety of so the soul. So before we go deeper into soul retrieval, mm -hmm. I would love, I'd love for you to explain a little bit more of what shamanism is and how you got into it. So shamanism, as I said, is the world's oldest spiritual belief system. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, this idea that everyone is connected. All things are connected. The plants, the animals, our souls, one another, and that we are all interrelated and interconnected in a grander web of life. And again, that practice of soul retrieval being that thought that different things can traumatize someone and cause them to split off or disconnect from different parts of their power. And what ended up happening, and I'll backtrack a little bit to come back to answer your question, Jessica, but what ended up happening was I started to see where people had lost their power, right? So understanding the soul loss before I had the dialogue to explain it through the lens of shamanism, because I hadn't yet stepped into learning about that. And that was coming just like moments after I started seeing these, these energies play out in this, you know, particular dungeon scenario. And I found that people who had been through the trauma were trying to find a way to find a re-empowerment for that part of their soul that had gone missing. And that when people do have a loss of power, that it's possible through the lens of shamanism, this indigenous belief system that different energies will come into that person's space. So that's where people can pick up demons or entities, negative energies. It could even manifest as illness, as anxiety, as depression, as jealousy. I mean, using an example of someone being cheated on by their partner and then finding out and, and feeling like that part of their trust is betrayed and an energy can come in of that jealousy that is not something that was present with them before the the trauma had happened, but finding that when I was working with these clients in the dungeon that I would see, I would go and I'd have a conversation with these people and, you know, it seemed like, okay, I'm going to work with Joe. Joe wants to do this particular play today. He wants to be, you know, spanked because he's been a bad boy in Catholic school, you know, whatever that is. And then come into the room and realize that Joe now doesn't look the same. His eyes have actually gone black. Now he feels unsafe to be around and seeing that these people, their personalities would change when they would want to step into being abused. 
and that I would see an energy shift where it's like, oh, Joe isn't Joe anymore. And I would actually feel like, okay, this person who I had consent with to like play this particular way now doesn't feel like the same person and see where these energies would be expressed through the person and through their energy, specifically through the eyes. That's where I was seeing that window into the soul where I could see something dark shift. And these people would want to be hurt and they would want to inflict pain into the space instead of necessarily going in and understanding it. And that's when I felt like there was a disconnect from being able to help them in that way because I felt like I was perpetuating the wound that this energy. Exactly. And that was part of the reason that, you know, I, I couldn't continue along in this work because it wasn't conscious enough for most people to want to liberate those wounds and actually discover their power. And there are ways of doing that. But I found that, you know, once I started to discover shamanism, it new doors opened for me and it felt like, oh, wow, this is my destiny. And so, you know, to get into how that began to play out, I was putting myself through school while I was at um, the, the dungeon and I was putting myself into uh, a holistic healing program with holistic nutrition. And as I started to work with clients around the world, all of a sudden the wave of all these new clients started talking about shamanism and about soul retrieval in particular. And I was working at the New York city open center as a assistant. Oh, it's so nice. Yeah. And I was, I was studying, you know, with different teachers there. And at that point I just started to devour every single class on shamanism, everything that was there would um, volunteer to assist with the class. And so I started to meet these teachers and understand about shamanism. And as soon as I stepped into that, it was like, I literally, my first journey, all of my guides came, my ancestors, they're like, quit your job. Like you're going to be doing soul retrieval. And that was, you know, the beginning of this next new wave of my, of my life. Coming up, you'll hear Kristen explain what a shamanic session looks like and how it's transformed her life. The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MOUTHMEDIASEN, that's MOUTHMEDIA, S-E-N-N, at checkout. So Kristen, can you explain some of the tenets of shamanism and what a session kind of goes like? Yeah, sure. And, you know, shamanism is a very ancient practice and we do look at different cultures and they approach the way that they work in different ways. And the way that I learned was in core shamanic practices. So what is consistent cross-culturally along with uh, studying with the Shipibo people in the Amazon jungle and studying with some of the Northern Native American Algonquin traditions. And, you know, I've studied with many different teachers that have come out of Peru and um, also Sandra Ingerman who bridges together psychology and shamanism. But essentially the shaman in most all all cultures will essentially step into a trance-like state by either inducing that with the repetitive noises of rattles or drums to essentially you drum yes and i drum to essentially go into trance to assist people to figure out where their power has gone and what the shaman will do is they are the seer they go as a helper on behalf of the client to see where their power had disconnected 
And the shaman will enter a trance-like state using those tools, sometimes even chanting, but a deep meditation state to go in and talk to their guides. So either ancestral spirits, ascended masters, angels, sometimes animals come, different teachers in various forms who will be tried and trusty helping guides that will assist me in connecting with my client. And at that point, after setting up intentions about, you know, my client either wants to get clarity or confidence, or maybe there's a particular pattern that they're looking to resolve that is just, you know, they're, they're done playing out specific dynamics and relationships or um, certain situations that continue to happen to them. So we look to see where their original point of power had been lost. And, you know, some of that can be done by talking with a person, but most of the work really happens by going into that trance-like state, hanging out with my spirit guide homies and be like, hey, you know, wh where is this part of Jessica that we need to go find that disconnected so that she can feel safe in her relationships so she can really open up or, you know, a part of her that's going to be confident so she can fully step into her power. And the guides will essentially take me on what is referred to as the shamanic journey, going in this trance state to go and find that person's part of their soul. And I'll end up having like a little powwow with people's spirit parts. So maybe I would find, you know, if I was working with you, Jessica, finding like a five-year-old part um, that feels like, you know, she's really celebrated for the artwork that she's doing or whatever it is that she's expressing. And maybe she felt like one of her family members didn't really see what she was doing. And she felt like she had to, you know, make her spirit smaller because she felt like she was taking up too much room because her parents didn't want to validate that experience for her. And so we might find that five-year-old part of Jessica that's like, yay, I express myself. I am like full of vibrancy and creative energy. And so we might like literally grab that part and then my job is to essentially like hang out with these really cute soul parts and some of them are adult parts. You know, they're also persuaded. I really love hanging out in the spirit world and connecting with people's very intimate parts of their spirit. But then I gather up the energy from these particular parts of their soul that have been disconnected. And then I blow them physically into the client. And at times, if it's done long distance, I can imagine blowing it into the person and it's just as effective. And there's different ways that you can do this in different traditions, but I typically use that particular uh, avenue of delivering the person's power back. But what's amazing about this is that once that person is reunited with that part of their soul or parts, usually there's many different parts that will come back because of course we like life can be really hard and parts of us can disconnect because it's challenging. And so going and finding all of those parts that we can in one particular session that are ready to essentially help with um, reintegrating that person's power. And then what I find is that people start to feel like they have more energy energy. Uh, I've had, I literally had a client this week who came in and said that he had all of these issues with self-confidence and we pulled some energies out of him that were not his. And we brought back some of his confident parts from when he was younger. And he said that all of the concerns he had about his confidence had completely vanished. And he was like, I, I've all the things I had problems with, like, there's no problem anymore. I really feel super confident and in my power. And now I want to work on the relationship of dynamics and certain patterns that I've seen that I'm just ready to, to shift out of. And so you know, in that point, I'll go into the next layer with that person and see what energies want to come back to them. So it's so clearly you communicate with spirits and you see spirits. I have a few questions about that. Sure. When did that start happening for you? And were you terrified? 
Yeah. So, you know, I think that I had suppressed all of what I was experiencing when I was a child because of my really, you know, uptight Christian backgrounds. And I do remember having some experiences when I was young, like my cat came to me the morning he died and told me he was passing. And my mom woke me up and told me that he had died. And I was like, oh, I know. He just told me and situations like that. But when his spirit came to you or he physically came to you, his spirit came to me. He was he was actually he was dying in a different part of the house and my bedroom door was closed. And but he came in the dream. And so I was having these experiences when I was young, but much of those experiences did definitely leave me, especially as I started to go through some trauma in my life. And Mm -hmm. I found that that was not as accessible. But when I started working um, the tail end of my stint at the dungeon, I found that I was starting to see ghosts and full body apparitions of clients that used to be in the space and, and spirits were coming to me and telling me to get out of the dungeon. And it was freaky. Like at that point I was a little bit scared because the dungeon is like not like a happy, pretty place. And to have these spirits of these like client fragments to come and to start connecting with me, it was, it was a little bit more than I thought I was signing up for in like a BDSM session. And it was at that point that I began to study and learn all about shamanism. They were all coming in about the same time. And that was when I just knew it, I was transitioning into learning about spirit in a different way and connecting with a higher vibration of even my own higher self, my own connection, my own soul parts. And that's when I started to receive healing and, and started to actually have soul retrieval done in my life and felt the call to study it. Do you think anyone can sort of, because there are a lot of people who don't believe in spirituality at all. And obviously I work in the spiritual realm myself. Um, do you think anyone can see spirits? Do you think everyone could be a shaman? I think that there's potential for anyone to really connect to their higher self and connect to these different practices. I know that I teach a lot of drumming circles and, and um, shamanic journey workshops, and some people have a little bit more trouble getting out of their head and into the experience of trusting their imagination, trusting the, you know, the spirits that come and show up to give them information. But I find that everyone who I work with, if, if we do it a couple of times that everyone's been able to successfully journey. And I think it takes a little bit more training and, you know, people are going to be naturally gifted in some areas. Like some people are going to be really good artists and some people are just going to be, you know, like they'll be able to draw a stick figure and that will be wonderful. But some people are able to go into a depth of accessing these spiritual planes more than others. But I think that everyone really has that seed of potential that they're able to connect with spirit, able to start using these practices and, you know, even divine healing for themselves. So for somebody who is interested in shamanism what, or someone who's just, who's maybe earlier on their path, what would you recommend for them in terms of to learn more about it? Are there certain books or there certain classes or there? What's like kind of a first step for somebody? A first step for someone, I think reading about shamanism and specifically if they're interested in soul retrieval, reading about that. I have an upcoming book that's coming up oh, that's um, great. In, uh, in about mid-April mm-hmm. and it's all about soul retrieval and shamanism. I even go into the psychology and some of the science behind it, looking at how you know wounds can be passed down intergenerationally, um, how we can have traumas in our body parts and lose parts of our spirits from our organs and also how past life traumas can affect mm-hmm. us now and how we can get our power back from those situations. 
And so that's a really great resource. And then I also teach a lot of beginner level journey workshops. And I have a new moon workshop where we go into the astrology and also work on uh, specifically going into the shamanic state of consciousness so that people can meet their guides and begin to work with what's going on astrologically to assist them in personal transformation for what's happening with those transits. And so that's a, a course that I do live. And I also have a webinar that I do to, to uh, allow people all over the world to be able to connect in and learn more about what's going on astrologically and connect in with their higher self and with their guides. So you have a you have another book that you wrote also. Yeah, I have I have a book that, you know, ended up kind of being this quarter life memoir that got me from how I started and went into the world of being a dominatrix and then learned about soul retrieval and, and how that essentially transformed my life. Because, you know, I can't really talk about this if I haven't experienced like right. buttloads of soul retrieval. I literally feel like I was an empty vessel walking around for pretty much all of my life where I was just kind of despondent. It was not very present. Um, and not happy felt like much of my power was missing. And once I started to, you know, learn about these practices and started to have soul retrieval and go through my own practice of, you know, retrieving my own soul parts and going to other healers and, you know, essentially stepping into the shamanic journey for myself, I realized that all of a sudden I was feeling like, like I remember pounding on my chest and being like, Oh my God, I'm inside my body now. (laughs) Wow. Like I'm, I'm in here and just feeling all of this joy. And that's when all of these other issues I had about feeling like I couldn't be um, like cuddled with, like, I didn't want to hug people because I was so traumatized from when I was a child that I wouldn't let people touch me. And realizing that these parts of my spirit came back where like, I'm like a cuddle monster now. Like, I just really love being snuggly. And that was a part of me that I was completely disconnected from until I had soul retrieval. And as it's began to heal my life, I've just felt so empowered to share it with others and teach other people not only how to connect with that state of consciousness, but go into their own practice of calling back their power. Um, in addition to, you know, obviously helping people in person and long distance to be able to do soul retrieval and reunite with their, their pizzazz, their power, that part of them that lights them up that many people go much of their life without. So what would you like our audience to know? What are your final thoughts? Oh, that's such a great question. And I just, I'm like zeroing and I'm just feeling like, Everyone goes through their, everyone has their story. Everyone goes through different pivotal moments that change their life. And it's really what we choose to make of it. And knowing that, you know, through the lens of these tools, these ancient tools, that no matter what you've gone through and no matter how traumatizing and how much it's affected you, you not only can have the lessons that you can learn from to grow, but you can also get your power back so that not only are you feeling more wise and like you have great life experience, but you can also find these tools to get your power back, your innocence, your courage, no matter what happens in your life. And that by coupling together the wisdom and that re-empowerment, that that's, you know, the springboard into like really activating your life and stepping into a life that allows you to thrive and fully be you. It's really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. So how can our listeners get in touch with you? So people can get in touch with me through my website, www.theshamanatrix.com. <laughs> you can also find me on Instagram at, at the shamanatrix. And I also have a wonderful Facebook group about soul retrieval that is called Reignite Your Inner Light. And I personally have experienced Kristen's work. It's been really fantastic and transformative. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jessica. My pleasure. And for you, thank you so much for joining us and listening to Kristen's really remarkable and transformative story. I ask for you 
to look inside of yourselves and to say, where can I reconnect with some ancient wisdom that can help me and help the world? My name is Jessica Brodkin. I am your host. You can find me at loveandlightservices.com or at Jessica Brodkin, B-R-O-D-K-I-N on social media. Thank you so much for joining us. Be on the lookout for all possibilities. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. This show is produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. No portion of the show may be distributed or published without the expressed written permission of the producers. Thank you for joining us. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.